And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Tuesday, March the 10th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1496, Christopher Columbus, he concluded his second visit to the Western Hemisphere. He left Hispaniola, went back to Spain. Today in 1864, President Abraham Lincoln assigned Ulysses S. Grant to command um, the armies of the United States. Today in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell's assistant, Thomas Watson, he heard Bell say over his experimental telephone, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. It wasn't exactly a long-distance call, but it worked. Watson was in the next room from Bell, but that was the beginning of what we know as the telephone. Today, 1913, former slave, abolitionist, and underground railroad conductor Harriet Tubman. She died in Auburn, New York. She was in her 90s. They didn't know for sure. She didn't know for sure how old she was. They estimated, but she was in her 90s, apparently. Today, in 1969, James Earl Ray pleaded guilty in Memphis, Tennessee. It was his 41st birthday, as a matter of fact, but he pleaded guilty to assassinating civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Later on, he repudiated that plea, said no, he didn't really mean it, and he maintained his innocence until he died later. I think he had cancer or something. <laughs> I don't remember how he died. It slips my mind. But anyway, in 1980, today, Scarsdale Diet. Remember that author? Herman Tarnauer? He made a ton of money. He wrote that book, Scarsdale Diet. I think it's still around. He was shot to death at his home in Purchase, New York. He was shot to death by his former lover, Jean Harris. He was convicted of his murder. She served about 12 years in prison before being released in 1993. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama denounced, strongly denounced, waste, inefficiency, and downright fraud in the government's health care system. Why did he do that? Because he was promoting a new health care plan that we would later know as Obamacare. Five years ago today, breaking her silence in the face of a growing controversy over her use of a private email address and a private server. Actually, we found out later that was in her closet. Hillary Rodham Clinton conceded that she should have used government email as Secretary of State, but instead she had not really violated, these are her words, any federal laws or, or, or Obama administration rules. Well, that's not exactly true. And interestingly enough, this week, she has been subpoenaed to testify under oath about all that stuff she did that there was nothing wrong with. You'll be hearing more about that in the news over the next few weeks. Hopefully, it should be in the news, but the news will try to try to revise it and change it a little bit and redirect it and soften it up. And, oh, no, that isn't really, you know. But some of the people have not forgotten in Congress, nor should they. The Clintons, the Obamas, the Bidens, the Trumps, everyone is not above the law. But there is a sense among the left that there is such an elitism there that they, I mean, I guess they've started believing their own press releases. 
You put out these press releases telling everybody how great you are, and then you read them a few times, and you think, wow, that's really true. <laughs> I think that's where they are. That's my sense, at least. And so there's going to be more of that going forward, not in a vindictive way, I don't think. Some of the guys that are pushing this, I've been paying attention to them. I don't sense in their spirit that they're it's vindictive, like we're going to get you. It's just that they believe in justice. And they want to see justice served. That's my view. I know that people would disagree with me, but boy, I'll tell you, some of them, and I don't have time to name them, but you would know some of their names uh, in Congress. They're saying that there are not people in our country who are above the law. We left that behind when we all, our forefathers left England and came over here. And now we're back to that with some of these people. They could feel like they can do anything and not have to answer for it so there is a move within our government believe it or not to start administering justice and get to the bottom of some of these things that's been going on way too long it was interesting governor gavin newsom of uh, the governor of california i'm not a fan of his like i'll just tell you that flat out i wasn't when he was was the mayor of san francisco and i'm not now but I was surprised at what he was saying to the press. I was a little more surprised even that they published it, but some of them did. But the California governor, Gavin Newsom, was praising Donald Trump on Sunday and again yesterday, a little bit yesterday, a lot on Sunday. He was praising him for his handling of the coronavirus, particularly with the issue of the virus present on the Grand Princess cruise ship that had been hovering off the California coast. He told reporters, I'm quoting him, he said every single thing that he, Trump, said, he said he and his administration followed through on. He was giving a press release, and um, he was talking about the fact that the Grand Princess cruise ship was set to dock in Oakland, California on, on Monday. I believe it did yesterday. 21 people aboard the ship had tested positive for the virus. He said, Newsom said, quote, over the past few days, President Trump has said that he would prefer if none of the passengers aboard these cruises landed on U.S. soil, but is giving, he's giving final authority to the doctors and to the people that are the task force. But he, he did mention, uh, Newsom said, he did mention, uh, or one of the, one of the um, reporters said, did he mention any of that to you in your conversation. Newsom confirmed that they had had a private conversation. He and the president had talked, and he said the president said, we're going to do the right thing, whatever that is. And he said, you have my support, all of our support, logistically and otherwise. The the governor said that Trump said during the conversation, everything that I could have hoped for, he said, he, he said and now is doing. He said, we had a very long conversation. Every single thing he said, they followed through on. He said he also praised Vice President Mike Pence as well. So I'm not just interested in finding daylight on those statements because every single thing, his administration and its stars at the top, including the vice president, has been consistent with this expectation. And he said um, uh, that we'll bring the passengers ashore. But he said the president said we'll, we'll do it the way it should be done. And he said, I'm giving uh, final authority and final say to the doctors, but we're here to help you. Newsom went on and on. I won't read any more of it, but I I wondered, is he 
I mean, what's happened to him? That doesn't sound like the Gavin Newsom I've observed over the years, but that's what he was saying. Thank you for your notes, encouragement. Sometimes just a check and no note, that's great. But I want to thank you for your support. It means a great deal to us here. I, I We just couldn't do this without it. We wouldn't be doing it, no matter how badly we felt called to do it or wanted to do it. And we do feel called to do this. I really do. And I think many of you sense that. But I got this note. Gary, through our business, we've supported you for some years now. And they have. My mom, who is 94, is my first stop of the day. We usually tune you in during our visit. She would like to also support you, so we're responding to this morning's show. Thanks for your dedication. And, oh, we would like to clone you. Now, you better be careful with that. I know there are people out there that would resist that a lot. They not only don't want me cloned, they don't even want me talking. But thank you for your kindness. I mean that. Thank you for your support. Sometimes when you're doing ministry on the radio or on television, direct ministry like this, if you're if you're preaching, as I did for years in the pulpit, um, and then that program is is edited into a pro, into a radio program or a television program for that matter. It's a different feel. I mean, I've done both. It's a bit of a different feel because you're speaking to the congregation at the time, and then later that is carried and the anointing and the insight and all of that is carried to a broader audience through the media. And that's very, very valuable. And that's how most Christian radio or television is, is advanced, is that way. When you're doing it live, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes you wonder, is anybody out there? And you are. And I know that, and I've done this a long time. I'm not a kid starting out. I've been around a while, unfortunately, too long sometimes. But thank you so much for your support. I mean that sincerely. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009, Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Seattle Times is saying this morning that there are uh, diagnosed cases have surpassed 160, 22 deaths in Washington. Washington State is the epicenter of this virus, and uh, the Gates Foundation has stepped up. They're giving a lot of money. I've heard several different amounts, but it's in the millions, as I understand it. I haven't spoken to the Gates family lately, but uh, that's what I read. And it'll be for uh, to speed up development of treatments and so on. Amazon, also based in Seattle is and elsewhere, Bellevue and all over the place. But um, they're giving $5 million to small businesses near their Seattle headquarters. The entire country of Italy is now under lockdown. Drastic curfews and all of that. And we're hearing that the authorities in Washington State are considering some of those kinds of things as well. So we'll see what happens. Interesting, to say the least. Washington is the fastest growing or among the fastest growing states in the nation. It's been a lot of population shuffling over the past four years. I know many of you listening 
are not in Washington State, but allow me just for a moment. Thousands have moved here in other parts. A few have moved away, but the overwhelming trend is growth. Some, of course, have died. There's always a mortality rate. Thousands of young people have reached the voting age of 18. Today is the primary election, not a caucus, but an election. You add all that up and the state's electorate looks very different than it did even in 2016. Two remaining viable candidates. Senator Bernie Sanders or former Vice President Joe Biden, who will win. Bernie has to win to stay alive today, big. And there are other states, of course. Seattle, I think, is or Washington is the second of, of the numbers of electoral uh, or delegates. But Washington's total voting eligible population, in other words, the citizens at 18 and up, stands at about 5.5 million in 2020. Over the past four years, that represents an increase of about 369,000, or roughly 7%. But not every group has grown at the same rate. And the Seattle Times published a demographic thing today, and I, I just want to mention a couple of things from it, and we'll move on. But it's a, it's a graph. It's pretty revealing, really. Not surprising, but revealing, probably. Voter demographics. Washington's voting eligible population has grown both older and more racially diverse since 2016. This is not over the last 10 years. Native American and Alaskan, 22.1% in 2016, 25.2% today in 2020. Black, blacks are up 11% from 2016 to 2020. Asian Pacific Islanders, they put that all into one group, has grown by 24% over the last four years. White was 79, 77.9% in 2016 of the population of Washington State were white. Today in 2020, it's 75%. And looking at the age disparity or the age demographics in the state, um, 65 and over in 2016 was 20.3%, and in 2020 is 22%. So the old guys are living longer. No, I don't, they don't say that, but they're living longer, and they're hanging around. The group of 18 to 34, which is on the young end, in 2016, they represented 29.7%, and 2020, today, they represent 30%. 35 to 49 age was 24% in 2016 and 24% in 2020. There's a 0.2%, uh, two-tenths of a percent difference in growth. But ages 50 to 64 was 26.1% in 2016 and 23.9% in 2020. So that's what Seattle and Washington State looks like in today's world. Nancy Pelosi says that our civilization is at stake in the 2020 election. I can't remember any time that I've ever agreed with her on anything, really. But speaking at the University of Boston yesterday, 
Speaker Nancy Pelosi told the young, impressionable minds that civiliza- civilization as we know it is at stake in this 2020 election. I agree. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about what she said and why I agree. There's a view from the left. It's called a worldview. Ms. Pelosi, is, she touched on a number of other topics yesterday. I glanced at what she said. It was a little bit rambling and not all connected, but much better than Joe Biden does. She was telling the students that she, quote, I'm quoting her, usually always casts her vote for a woman. One kid raised their hand, a student, and a, a fully mature student who is probably 19 years old, knows everything except this question. But this kid raised her hand, I think it was a girl, and she said, what if a woman was running for president and she was a Republican? Nancy Pelosi said, that would be okay, even if the first woman president was a Republican. I imagine she'll get some kind of pushback from some of her friends, at least in a friendly way. But she's been put off by the president a number of what times. We'll all remember, if we paid attention, that while the president gave the State of the Union address recently, she sat behind him as Speaker of the House and tore up, tore up his speech in front of the world on television. Well, she has this annual event every year. It's a kind of a St. Patrick's Day event, and it's to celebrate the connection between the United States and Ireland, and there is a strong connection. Some of my forefathers, some of our family came from Ireland. I think everybody in America has some Irish blood, in there, or at least the, the white people do, and it, it's amazing, uh, I mean, but it's true. My son and I visited Ireland. My wife didn't go with us. She decided not to, but uh, we visited Ireland a few years ago, and and uh, went to some places, and, and the, the thing that struck us was one, my son said to me, he said, Dad, he said, these guys all look like Grandpa. He was talking about my father, and they kind of did when you got out of the cities, but you also, you would be way out in the, you know, in a little town somewhere in Ireland, and at least that was our experience, and somebody would, would say to you, oh, you guys are, you're from, oh, you're from, oh, the West Coast, well, do you know a town, and they named some little town out here in the west, in the northwest, and do you know about that? Yeah, well, my uncle lives there, and we go visit him every other year or whatever. So there is a, definitely a connection there. There's no question about that. So Trump, so Trump, he had announced that he was not going to be attending Pelosi's annual uh, St. Patrick's Day event that she does every year. So he got pushed back on that and said, well, you don't care about Ireland. He said, oh, yeah, I, I really do care about Ireland. So yesterday, Judd Deere, it's like John Deere, except it's Judd. I don't know, maybe he's related to the Tractor family. But anyway, he's a White House spokesman. He came out with this official statement. The statement said, and he read it to the press, since the speaker, I'm quoting, since the speaker has chosen to tear this nation apart with her actions and her rhetoric, the president will not participate in moments where she so often chooses to drive discord and disunity and will instead celebrate the rich history and strong ties between the United States and Ireland at the White House on March 12th. <laughs> and that's day after tomorrow. And that's in advance of Pelosi's party. She's made similar claims in the past regarding defeating President Trump. In fact, 
no wonder he doesn't want to risk going to her party. I understand that. I probably wouldn't do it either. In 2017, she claimed that the Republicans' tax reform bill would be Armageddon, with years-long ramifications for the working class. Almost prophetically, she said that. I remember when she was saying that. I checked it out. The bill has had ramifications, but not like she prophesied. Until China's coronavirus invaded our society, the working class, as she refers to this, the working class were doing well. The economy was booming and expanding. In fact, there's a, there's a, a story out there this morning that 70% of all small business owners in America are telling survey people and posters they're going to vote for Trump again. 70% of all, regardless of their party affiliation, 70%. So I would say that his bill did have ramifications but they weren't what she had predicted. Under current leadership, most economists believe it will continue and we will rebound after this coronavirus epidemic dies down. Not to minimize this epidemic, it is very serious. It's more than a cold. The recent interview with Vanity Fair, Pelosi branded the president as the most dangerous person in American history while urging people not to vote for him. So then Vanity Fair, and of course, they're very far left. They enjoyed publishing that, I'm sure. But there are a number of ways in which our civilization, as we know it, is at stake in 2020. There's no question about that. I wanted to just address one with you this morning. If we were on longer, I would address several. But let me talk about one that's probably closest to my heart, and I hope it is to yours as well. Nancy Pelosi often chooses to refer to scriptures that don't exist, to affirm her beliefs. Like, she said this repeatedly. The Bible says caring for the environment is worshiping God. There's not a single theologian, even kind of moderate-type theologians that don't really believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God as we do. But they can't find that in the Bible. I mean, God gives us stewardship over the environment right from the beginning of mankind, after the creation. But nowhere does the Bible say that caring for the environment is worship, worshiping God. Gia, they hold that Mother Earth is God, and yes, they worship her. And I think Nancy's got all confused between Eastern mysticism, Earth worship, and then some of the verses she's learned as a Catholic growing up in, in her adult life. She says she knows it's there. I've seen her on the in on video. People have asked, well, where is that verse? And she said, well, I, she said, I, I know it's there because I've quoted it so often. But she said, I can't remember where it is. She often claims that abortion is a blessing. I've heard her say that on video, using the Bible to affirm her secular, progressive support of abortion, even though her church, which she talks about all the time, her Catholic church, strongly opposes abortion. I've talked about him many times recently, former presidential candidate, he's out now, but Pete Buttigieg, he was the leading evangelist for the religious left views this year. I've written about it, I've talked about it. He was always talking about his 
love for God and his love for the Bible and how that his marriage to his husband has brought him closer to God. I got to tell you, that doesn't square up with the Bible. And people, I don't know why those who could speak to these issues, perhaps more than more profoundly than I can, are silent. But they are. Joe Biden, who is interestingly already meeting with his advisors, discussing who will be part of a Biden presidency, has said that Pete Buttigieg will definitely be part of his administration. But he's always talking about how marriage to his husband has brought him closer to God. And all about how the Bible is about compassion. It's not about being strict on the rules and man and man together and all of this kind of same sex and all that. that, There's no problem with that. That's not what the Bible means. And on and on they go. But the most recent prophetic voice among the the religious left, so-called, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she's apparently carrying on the ministry of, I say that lightly in quotes, of Pete Buttigieg. She's now claiming that religious liberty advocates, those who are advocating, actually advocating for religious liberty, are weaponizing the Bible to, I'm quoting her, justify bigotry, much like those who justified slavery. During a recent House Oversight Committee hearing just a few days ago, it was about the Trump administration's religious liberty assault on LGBTQ rights, Ocasio-Cortez says people using religious exemptions to exclude gay and transgender citizens, that she, they were specifically talking about religious organizations that the government, the, the people in the government, like her, want to force, like charities and adoption agencies and even churches, to hire homosexuals on their staff. And they don't believe in it because God condemns it, and they believe that people can be saved and restored and released from that. She noted more than once in this committee hearing, she said, it's very difficult to sit here and listen to arguments in the long history of this country of using scripture and weaponizing and abusing scripture to just justify bigotry. She said white supremacists have done it. Those who justified slavery have done it. Those who fought against integration did it. And we're seeing it here today. Ironically, it was her party that held on to slavery and promoted slavery and gave us the KKK. But unfortunately, her views are not isolated. There's many who share her views. I will tell you, that's that's what threatens our country the most. When people forget God, or when people take his word and begin to bend it to the lifestyle that they've chosen, they bend God's word so it will affirm what they want to do. That's very dangerous. That's dangerous in the category of when people forget God, tyrants forge their chains, as Patrick Henry said. That, that is what hangs in the balance in the next election, or at least one of the things. Well, thank you so much for being with me. I have more to say today, but we do not have time to say it. We'll continue this tomorrow. See you right here tomorrow.